Hello, welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan here in Victoria, BC. In this program, we all discover jazz old and new together. We'll listen to a wide variety of jazz styles and I'll present different topics, giving ideas as to what we can listen for to enhance our experience. Thanks to Peterborough Independent Podcasters for hosting this podcast. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. Today, more from the 84 LPs that comprise Time Life's Giants of Jazz series that were released in the late 1970s to the early 1980s. It was 28 three-record sets, plus an extensive booklet for each one talking about the featured artist. A few weeks ago, I played and talked about Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, Joe Sullivan, Bessie Smith, Bunny Berrigan and Johnny Dodds, and even threw in a bit of Guy Lombardo, just for the fun of it. This week, you'll hear Billie Holiday, Big Spiderbeck, Benny Goodman, Art Tatum, Coleman Hawkins, Frank Teschmacher, and a Canadian pianist who is definitely a giant of jazz, even if he wasn't part of that series, Oscar Peterson. Starting with Billie Holiday. This is one of her most famous compositions and performances. Lyrics that she wrote to an Arthur Herzog melody. And those lyrics were inspired by an argument she had with her mother when her mother refused to give her rent money that she so desperately needed. This is from 1941 with Roy Eldridge on trumpet. an era where female singers were big and fat and had powerful big fat voices such as Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey. Billy's voice was small and exact. Described by Melvin Maddox in the notes to this three record set as having the plaintive quality of an oboe 
who made jazz singing an act of autobiography addressed to each member of an audience one-on-one, unquote. She had a rough life, working as a child of 15 as a call girl. When she was through with hustling and the rent was due, she asked at clubs for work, telling people that she was a dancer. At one point, she was asked if she could sing. She said yes, and asked the piano player to play Travelin' All Alone. She described the result as being like an old musical. The whole place quieted down, and everybody in the joint was crying in their beer, and I picked up 38 bucks off the floor. That would have been around 1930 or 31. Here is that song from a later 1937 recording, Billie Holiday and her orchestra, with Lester Young on tenor sax, traveling all alone. One more from Billie Holiday before I move on to Big Spiderbeck, her very first recording. And it was also the first session date for the Benny Goodman Orchestra from November 27, 1933. She was understandably very nervous. An 18-year-old black girl singing into her first microphone surrounded by a band of all-white musicians. And she had to be talked through it, finally being told that maybe she lacked the nerve for the job. Well, like a kid taking a dare, she launched into her recording career. It's called Your Mother's Son-in-Law on the label, although Billy sings it by the correct title, My Mother's Son-in-Law. Let's give it a listen.
Let's move on to another jazz giant, a contemporary of Louis Armstrong, best known as a trumpet player, Bix Beiderbecke. He died in 1931 due to rampant alcoholism at the age of 28, but during his short life he was the most admired of white jazz musicians, by whites and blacks alike. His trumpet work was characterized by an amazing tone, as he had an extraordinary ear, perfect pitch, and could pick out tunes on the piano from age three. This first selection I'll play, it is said in the notes that if Bix had never recorded again, his place in musical history would have been secure on the basis of his superb solo on this one record. It's his version of Singing the Blues as part of saxophonist Frank Trombauer's orchestra. It features first a solo by Trombauer, some nice counterlines by guitarist Eddie Lang, then Bix Beiderbecke's solo, characterized by great warmth and great structural integrity. Here it is. Dick Spiderbeck wasn't just a magnificent trumpeter, he was also no slouch on the piano. And as a composer, one of his compositions has become a jazz standard, with Wikipedia citing 100 different recordings, even one by folk blues singer Jeff Muldar. Here's the original Big Spiderbeck solo piano version from 1927 of In a Mist. I'll follow it with a lovely 1964 version by Clark Terry.
Clark Terry from 1964 with Big Spider Bex in a Mist, with Phil Woods on alto sax, Ben Webster on tenor, Roger Kellaway piano, Milt Hinton on bass, Walter Perkins drums, and the trumpet and flugelhorn of Clark Terry. Let's move from Big Spider Beck to Benny Goodman. Next to Louis Armstrong, probably the best-known jazz man in the world. And he was one of the few featured artists still alive, along with Count Basie and Teddy Wilson, when the Time Life Giants of Jazz series was put out. That was in the late 1970s to early 1980s. Goodman died in 1986. In fact, Benny Goodman actually got to listen to some of the recordings used in this volume, volume five of the series, and he made comments about the recordings selected. His career started in the late 1920s, and in the mid-1930s, where racial segregation was the law, he broke new ground by having one of the first integrated jazz bands. He was a white guy who hired a number of black musicians, such as Teddy Wilson, Lionel Hampton, and Charlie Christian. Although Benny Goodman is a legend, a great band leader and amazing clarinetist, I can get away with playing only one track of his for two reasons. One is that we'll be hearing him a lot as I complete this Giants of Jazz series. Almost all the jazz greats played with him at one time or another. Two, the track I'm going to play is 12 minutes long. This is the classic Madison Square Garden concert recording of Sing, 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 recorded in 1938, but it didn't get released until 1950. The melody was written by Louis Prima, and it starts with Gene Krupa's Tom Tom, significant throughout. Three moments are particularly of interest in this live recording, all of them taking place, taking place in the second half, after that first audience applause that suggested the song might be over. First, there's a terrific, almost contemporary-sounding Harry James trumpet solo. Then Benny Goodman comes in, starting sweet and gentle. Then in rising to a final screaming climax, he hits a C above high C, which some musicians said was impossible to do on a clarinet. When asked how he did it, Goodman said it was an accident. <laughs> the third interesting tidbit is a piano solo by Jess Stacy who rarely soloed and wasn't known as an upfront kind of kind of soloist. Benny calls on him to take a solo right after his. His solo is described as a rich, texturally varied and introspective A minor invention. Jess Stacy, when asked about it, said that he figured that with all the circus band trumpet playing we've heard tonight and all the Krupa banging, I might as well change the mood and come on real quiet. So I took the A minor chord, Sing 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 is built around, and turned it this way and that, unquote. It also has a touch of Debussy and a touch of the blues. I think it's truly inspired. Then Krupa comes in with some powerhouse drumming as the band takes the tune home. From January 16th, 1938, Madison Square Gardens in New York, here is Sing Sing Sing. Thank you. 
Wow, what amazing playing. Sing, sing, sing. With solos by uh, Harry James, Benny Goodman, and that last amazing piano solo by Jess Stacy, Benny Goodman Orchestra. Volume 24 in the Time Life Giants of Jazz series is an Art Tatum package. What he was most known for was his absolutely astounding technique. People would shake their heads, wondering how he did what he did. He was considered the most two-handed of pianists, but he was also the most two-headed. His friend, pianist Jay McShann, talked about how Tatum would grab two tunes so completely different from each other and play them at the same time and make them work. One amazing story about his abilities was about a time he was playing on a, I think it was a church piano, and by listening to someone else playing the playing it, uh, he determined that the B-flat, C, and G keys would stick when they were played. So when he had his turn to play, his fast and complicated runs were as evident as ever. How did he do it? When he made a run coming down with a left hand, he pulled up the keys that were stuck with his right hand in time to play them again. And when he made a run with his right hand, he pulled them up with his left. Art Tatum released his first solo records in 1933, and right from the get-go it was apparent that nobody in jazz could match his dexterity or his grasp of different harmonic possibilities. He died in 1956 from a kidney disease called uremia. Here is a solo piano track from 1949. It's Irving Berlin's Blue Skies, with occasional references to Isn't This a Lovely Day? and There Ought to Be a Moonlight Saving Time. He loved to use quotes from other songs, and they would flow seamlessly. Art Tatum, Blue Skies.
since we're on piano, and I do want to ensure that I get a Canadian artist in, even though none of them were featured in the Time Life Giants of Jazz series. If one had, it would have had to have been Oscar Peterson, although he might be a bit too contemporary for that series, with his career spanning from 1945 until his death in 2007. And most of the Time Life series uh, focus more on from about the 1920s to about the 50s, Oscar Peterson, in his youth, heard recordings by Art Tatum that his father played him, and he says that Tatum scared him to death and got rid of any youthful cockiness that he had at the time about his own piano playing, and in fact uh, also kept him off the piano for at least a few months. He was born and raised in Montreal and taught piano and composition in Toronto. I was first exposed to him through his Canadiana suite of 1964, where he composed jazz impressions of different areas of Canada. Since I'm living in Victoria, B.C., what better selection than Land of the Misty Giants from Oscar Peterson's Canadiana Suite with Ray Brown on bass and Ed Thigpen drums.
Oscar Peterson won Jazz Pianist of the Year in the Downbeat Magazine Reader's Poll every year from 1950 to 1962. He was also a composer and, surprisingly, a very fine vocalist, even though he only only put out, I believe, two records where his singing was featured, one from 1956 called Romance, the Vocal Stylings of Oscar Peterson, and the other in 1965 tribute to Nat King Cole. From the former... Here is his version of But Not For Me, with Barney Kessel on guitar, Ray Brown bass, and Stan Levy drums. They're singing songs of love, but not for me. A star is skies above, but not for me. With love to lead the way, we'll find more clouds of gray than any Russian play could guarantee. I was a fool to fall and get this way. Hi-ho, alas, and also like a day. Although I can't dismiss the memory of her kiss, I guess she's not for me. The memory of her kiss. She's not for me. Back to the Giants of Jazz series, part two. These are three record sets with extensive booklets that were put together by Time Life in the late 1970s to the early 1980s where I was able to eagerly anticipate the next one coming to my door every couple months. This next one took me by surprise, because I had never heard of him. Volume 23, Frank Teschmacher. He was killed in an automobile accident in 1932 at the age of 25, and very little had been written about him. It's hard to know why Time Life included him as one of the 27 giants of jazz. Their introductory notes admit that his playing was controversial, and clarinetist Artie Shaw felt that he was not a good clarinetist and not much of an influence on jazz. His name became huge when a historic book, La Jazz Hot, was published by a French jazz writer named Panacy, and this book became the Bible of jazz collecting. And in this book, he described Teschmacher as the greatest jazz clarinetist ever. As a result, Teschbacher rose out of obscurity with collectors all over the world searching for his undiscovered recordings to challenge the conventional wisdom that Teschbacher had left behind only 34 records in which he played. And a few possibilities have been discovered. Interestingly, eight years later, Panacee retracted his comments saying that it was all a mistake and that Teschbacher wasn't really all that good and had too many choppy, rough places in his music. But by then, it was too late. Tischmacher was on his way, posthumously, to becoming a jazz legend. 
I suspect one reason Time Life placed him in the series was because they did so much work looking for other tracks that Teschmacher was on so that they could go down in history as making these discoveries. Teschmacher did have a musical voice. It was instantly recognizable and impossible to forget, playing what looked like a clarinet but sounded like something he invented with spiky, scratchy, piercing, surrealistic notes that didn't seem to exist on ordinary clarinets. You'll hear it on this next track from 1928 with Miff Mole and his Little Molars. It also features Red Nichols on cornet, Miff Mole trombone, Joe Sullivan piano, Eddie Condon on banjo, and Gene Krupa drums, along with Teschmacher's standout clarinet, Windy City Stomp. You know, I listen to that and I do get some idea as to why Time Life might have selected Teschmacher as one of the giants of jazz. I mean, it's a standard New Orleans Dixieland style arrangement until Teschmacher comes in and blows it all out of the water. It definitely paved the way for later musicians to do a lot of experimentation, making jazz into an ever-evolving style. Just listen to Frank Teschmacher taking this tune home. forerunners of bebop and modern jazz was Coleman Hawkins, who I don't think anybody will question him being chosen as one of the giants of jazz. His recordings are volume six of the series. He basically rewrote this next old standard and transformed the tenor saxophone from novelty instrument to artist's tool. I'll talk more about Coleman Hawkins in the near future when I put together part three of Giants of Jazz, the Time Life series. But we'll end off this episode of Discovering Jazz with this masterpiece, Coleman Hawkins and Body and Soul. You've been listening to Discovering Jazz, brought to you thanks to Peterborough Independent Podcasters. This is Larry Sademan saying bye for now.